This is an EWTN Newslink. I'm Teresa Tomio from Catholic Connection. U.S. bishops say the COVID-19 pandemic has financially ravaged their dioceses. A survey by the Center for Applied Research in the Apostolate says to meet the shortfalls, they've applied for government aid and a diocesan programs in closed schools and parishes. A volunteer altar server admitting to starting that fire at St. Peter and Paul Cathedral in western France. A 39-year-old Rwandan refugee charged with arson. The local prosecutor says he confessed to lighting three fires in the cathedral last week. And Father Frank Pavone resigns from advisory positions in the re-election campaign of President Donald Trump, the national director of Priests for Life, saying he withdrew at the direction of church authorities. Pavone was co-chair of the Pro-Life Voices for Trump Coalition and a member of the Catholics for Trump Advisory Board. For more news with a Catholic perspective, visit EWTNnews.com. I'm Teresa Tomio, and The Doctor is in with Dr. Ray Garendi. starts now. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Hello, Dr. Ray. I'm sure I'm going to get really good advice from you. Why do I have to be the insightful professional? Thank you for empowering me. Here's what I think is going on. I think you're a hoot and a half. My idea, my theory, my guidance is a bit of a stretch. I just love your show. Does that comfort you? No. Am I close? No. You are really smart. I am sensitive and understanding and nurturing. Your show to me is like a comedy information show. Did I make you feel a lot better or what? No, you made me feel worse. Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. I was always taught, not growing up, to respect my elders. Keeps getting harder to find one. This is as old as I've ever been. I'm a bit traumatized. You, ever, you have parents say things like, He's never done this before. And I will ask, Well, has he ever been nine before? He, he, I can't believe he talked to me that way. Has he ever been 12 before? Point being, of course, that all kinds of things happen when you're a kid. All kinds of new attempts at asserting your rebelliousness, your obstreperousness, your pugilance. And like Paul Harvey used to say, as you get older, there's a lot more firsts. I never used to have trouble falling asleep. Yeah, well, have you ever been this age before? All right, never mind. Enough of that. This is The Doctor Is In, Monday through Friday, 1 o'clock Eastern Time. Uh, Co-production. EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network, as well as Ave Maria Radio Communications there in Ann Arbor. Excuse me. And it is on some, oh, I don't know, close to 400 stations nationwide, as well as you can pick it up anywhere around the world. If you have a computer, you can web stream it, you can take the apps, you can go on the websites and listen live. It's, every, it's everywhere, which makes me a little nervous. My sister Liguri used to tell us when I was in the second grade that the world isn't going to end until everybody's had a chance to either be one religion or accept our Lord and Savior. Now, you know, that's not official church teaching, but I think, you know, it's kind of a, a pious notion. I remember thinking, well, hey, I don't have much to worry about. That's not going to happen, not for the foreseeable future anyway, because... How's it going to happen? There's all kinds of 
tribes and different languages all over the place. Yeah, well, we're a lot closer to that now. You can hear the gospel in so many ways now, no matter where you are. Unless, of course, you're being monitored by your government. All righty, this is E-Person Monday, where I head back into the email stack or scroll and and tackle some of them. Sorry, sorry for the, the rough language. Maybe I should just say address. Address some of them and share them with you. There, that's a little softer. <clears throat> but before we get to that, do my opening monologue. Let me look in the stack here and see which one I chose. The dirty communication trick. It's a good one. A lot of people use it. You pull it out in the middle of an argument. Let's say you're disagreeing with your spouse about some subject, some circumstance, some matter. Or maybe you're disagreeing with a grown child. Or a sibling, an adult sibling. Or your own parents, you're disagreeing. And the argument's getting reasonably heated. And you are not making a whole lot of headway on convincing them of your perspective. After all, it's your opinion versus theirs, right? They see it as, well, that's how you think. This is how I think. It's how you see it. This is how I see it. Aha. Now... It's time for your coupe de grassy. That's French, you know. The dirty communication trick goes something like this. I'm not the only one who thinks this. I am not the only one who thinks this. Your mother thinks this. Or if you don't want to mention any particular names, you don't want to throw anybody under the bus because I think they'd be pretty upset if they found out that you use them as a witness to your side to make your case? Leave it generic. Well, (laughs) this isn't just my opinion. This isn't just... I know a lot of people think this way about you. They see this in you. They know this is what you're like. Oh, oh, oh! Talk about communication body blows. Don't you understand? There's a whole bunch of people out there who agree with me and disagree with you or who support me and demean you. Now, let's just say that's true. Let's say that, in fact, you could go out, you could poll those people. You could say, this is what me and -and so-and-so were clashing about. How do you see it? Then you find that eh, number of them say, you know, I'm kind of coming down on the way you look at it. Not fully, but enough. Enough that I get cited as a witness. Why is this a dirty communication trick? Well, first of all, you're calling people in on your side without their permission. I would suspect that if a lot of them knew you were doing this, They wouldn't want you to do it. That's the first thing. Second thing, it is, well, if you want to call it by its name, detraction, which means 
telling someone about someone that that it may be true, but they really have no right to know it, then what you've done is by saying that these people or this person agrees with me, you know, about you, you know, you have essentially said this is their stance. Maybe it's not. Or even if it is, they don't want you to do that. But I think here's the most destructive aspect of that dirty communication trick. It makes the person you're arguing with or in dispute with perhaps not only think less of them, but to now damage whatever relationship they might have had with them. If if I'm arguing with someone who tells me, and you know what? Your brother thinks the exact same thing about you. First of all, I could be shocked. Second of all, if my brother is someone that I thought I had a real nice, open, transparent, trusting relationship with, and then I find out that he supposedly not only thinks badly about me in this particular instance or matter or personality trait, but he's told the person I'm arguing with he does. Whoa! All the way around. Dirty communication trick is citing witnesses. I've got people who agree with me. You want me to name them? I've got people who think as negatively about you on this subject as I do. So, you see, it isn't just me versus you. It's you versus a whole bunch of people who are on my side. Now, I have no way of confirming that just because... I have said they think like I do. I may be picking and choosing things they've said over time, but but probably my antagonism toward you about this subject is not at the level of theirs. It's much higher. Don't do it. Don't cite witnesses. Citing witnesses is a dirty communication trick. It's mean it not only makes the person that you're disputing feel much worse, if that's your goal, I suppose, but if that's not your goal, if your goal is just to persuade or get them to see how you look at things, then that's a bad way to do it. But the damage it also does is to those other people who may not at all want to be pulled in on something like this, who may have told you things in the strictest of confidence, who may not even think this, but you think they think it, because you've interpreted things that they've said to indicate they agree with you. And in the end, it also may damage the relationship between them and the person that you are clashing with. All righty. I, I got an e-person lined up for after the break. Now, this particular e-person has, it was chosen because it, illustrates a number of points and that that's a good way to get an e-person addressed and aired because I want it to address a number of points and the particulars of the e-person in other words the age of the person or the sex of the person 
is not relevant. If you, if you hear it and you say, well, I don't have kids that age, or I'm not married, or I don't have a problem with my father-in-law regarding how he sees my religion, as much as possible, I try to broaden it into matters and issues that you can relate to. So I think that's what I'm going to do in this next one. It's, it's, spe- it's specifics. It's demographic specifics may make you think, well, yeah, I can't relate to that. But watch as it unfolds, and I think you may see, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I I have some of that too. I'm Dr. Ray. Do you own popular index mutual funds or ETFs? If so, you're automatically own shares of companies that conflict with your moral beliefs. Ave Maria mutual funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors can invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. The experienced professional portfolio managers make decisions based on investment fundamentals and pro-life values. You can learn more about Ave Maria Mutual Funds today at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. I turned from a recreational drug user to a drug addict. That took me to my knees. I lost a family, almost two families. I lost friends. Now that I'm back in the Catholic Church, I'm a new person. I love it. I love it. My heart's there. I took communion after 18 years, and the rest of the Mass sat and cried. God restored my life. God restored my family. God restored my love. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for any reason, visit catholicscomehome.org today. Christ is the answer with Father John Ricardo. I repeat, I'm sure ad nauseum to the guys who are here, a line from Pope Benedict Emeritus now, who used to say over and over again, to be a Christian is not the result of an ethical choice but the result of an event, an encounter, a meeting with the living God in the person of Jesus Christ. This and nothing less is what it means to be a Christian. So we said the new evangelization is new in ardor. That's a kind of old-fashioned word. What in the world is ardor? Ardor is zeal, fervor, passion. Are you passionate about Jesus? Passionate about Jesus. Are you zealous? for Jesus? Are you fervent for Jesus? Are we fervent for the gospel? Are we passionate about helping this world come to know him? Good to have you with me on this Doctor Is In program on this edition of E-Person Monday. Let's go right to the E-Person here. This comes from Sarah. My husband and I could really use some sound advice. When I see right away quick, I almost didn't take that E-Person. You put the pressure on me at the very top of the email. Could really use some sound advice. I don't want to have to be pressured into that. They would have said, we could really use some thoughts that may be good or may be bad. Oh, okay, I can do that. Married for 10 years. Seven-year-old girl, five-year-old girl, four-year-old girl, 
two-year-old boy, three-month-old boy, five children under seven. All right. Now people are thinking, Dr. Ray, those are all young kids. How am I going to relate to this email? Just be patient with me. Bear with me. Our five-year-old is a typical child with an amazing imagination and lots of energy. Okay. This is a variant of the old. Before I tell you what the problem is, let me tell you he's a really good kid. Or sometimes after people tell me what the problem is, they have a big, long litany of troubles. They'll say, I'm giving you the wrong impression. Really, overall, he's a good kid. So that's we parents have to do that. We got, we got to say, look, I, I don't want you to think I'm criticizing my kid, but uh, I got to tell you, I got a good kid here. And then let me tell you the problem. Uh, started attending school at three. Her teachers have always had nothing but great things to say about her. She has never struggled socially. She's a smart girl, helps wherever she needs to at school. She has a beautiful smile and a contagious laugh. All right, now that's all the good stuff. Now, where's the big butt here? You got to figure there's a big butt coming. Because obviously, somebody's going to write me an email and say, let me tell you how sweet my kid is, wonderful my kid is. Okay, thanks. Talk to you later. Not in my world. That doesn't happen. Okay, here's the butt. However, outside of school, there can be a different side of her. Now, this is where we're going to get into broader interpretations of human personality. We want to think that personality is consistent across contexts. It's not. You may have one relative who thinks you are the sweetest person in the whole world. And you have another relative who can't stand being around you. Now, I would suspect that the, the relative who can't stand being around you sees a different side of you. The one who thinks you're a sweetheart thinks, wow, she's so easy to be around. The one who doesn't like you, you know she doesn't like you or he doesn't like you, so you're nervous around them. You're different. You watch what you say. You alter your style. And they think, yeah, I've always found her to be kind of uptight. And the one who really likes you says, uptight? Oh, I've never seen any of that. Context is big. And the major difference in context for really all kids, the biggest one, home to school. It's by far the biggest one. Now, you see what Sarah is saying. She says, outside of school, there can be a different side of her. Um, I'm not so sure I'd characterize it that way. I think outside of school, she's kind of sized up the situation let me go on here. We've seen this with all our girls in different ways, and we realize we are their safe zone where they can be most comfortable to be themselves. Okay, two points there I want to address. I'd say 90-plus percent of the time, kids are better behaved at school than they are at home. 90-plus. Now, there's a certain irony to this, because teachers do not have a fraction of the authority that a parent has. A parent has massive authority compared to a teacher. But yet, the children behave better for teachers. Now, why is this? I, that's a monologue for another time. It's perception. It's perception of authority. However, and here, here is probably, Sarah's given me probably the main interpretation of why the kid is more difficult for them and wonderful at school. She says, we realize we are a safe zone. Yeah, I've heard a lot of experts say this. 
Oh, your children feel very secure with you. That's a good sign that they're obnoxious with you is a good sign that they mistreat you and throw temper fits or are disrespectful. Be pleased. Be pleased. Because they feel safe with you. They can be themselves. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm not so sure I want my kid to be that kind of self. Okay. This daughter, the five-year-old, has always been the most extreme with a lot of anger. Okay, let me stop again. You see what I mean about develop this? So many good points brought up by Sarah here. She's labeled it anger. You know, it's rather uncommon for a five-year-old to be angry. It truly is. Anger implies uh, kind of a deeper sort of, what, uh, resistance towards reality? I just don't like this. The better word here, Sarah, is frustration. And I always ask parents, would you see this kind of anger if you gave the child whatever they wanted whenever they wanted it? Oh, no, no, no. If the child is throwing a fit about something, because they are not allowed to do it, and then you said, okay, 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 you can do it, what would happen to the anger? It would go away immediately. What kind of anger is this that goes away in a split second? That's not anger. That's frustration. I'm not getting what I want. She has a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde type of extreme. In one of my early books, I talked about this. Uh, I talked about, is my child normal? That was the chapter of the book, is my child normal? And I brought out the, the Jekyll Hyde syndrome because parents think this. It's like, oh my, how come, the, how come the school gets to see Dr. Jekyll? I get to see Mr. Hyde. Well, that's a rip. But in fact, it is, she's not Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. And I'm going to get to the explanation here in a second. second. Today, she scratched her younger sister's face so bad it left red marks. It looked like something a cat would have done. At first, her reaction to the situation was telling us calmly that she didn't do it. Ah, she lied. Okay. She pretty quickly admitted it and then got extremely upset, saying that she can't stop herself when she gets angry. Oh, kids say that all the time. It's like something has taken over my body. The devil made me do it. The old Flip Wilson. The devil made me do it. No, little kids think that all the time. When they get angry, they feel impulsive. And they feel emotional, and they think, I, I just did it. No, 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 they're going to learn to control that. And you know how they learn to control it? At the hands of their parents is how they learn to control it. She told us there is something wrong with her and her brain. No, not likely, not likely at all. Now, Dr. Ray, how can you say that? Because she's an angel at school, that's why. For years, she's been an angel at school. School has rules. She follows them. And not only that, but she's cooperative and delightful and pleasant. There have been times where she says how all she does is cause trouble, and she even says she wishes she wasn't part of this family. Okay, another point to be made. When kids clash at home with parents, they always say things like that. I wish I wasn't here. I wish you never had me. I'm not the favorite. I don't like myself at all. I don't know why I do these things. Can't wait till I'm old enough to go to confession. <laughs> We realize part of this is simply the mind of a five-year-old trying to work out these big emotions. Uh, she needs your help. We take some of what she says with a grain of salt. I would say, Sarah, take it with a pound of salt. Our questions. 
How can we best aid her in controlling? And Sarah says, anger. I'm going to change that to frustration. Do you have any suggestions to successfully discipline her? How can we as parents ensure we're making the correct decisions between five-year-old dramatizations and real emotional issues? See, okay. Oh, boy, I'm running out of time. Told you there was a whole bunch of issues I wanted to address. Um, I don't want Sarah to have to worry about making the correct decision. The bottom line is this little girl at home throws fits. And my guess would be that she has sized up her parents and recognizes that they're a bit befuddled in how to control her. They don't know how to do it. Or or the times they try, she escalates, she gets worse, and they're thinking, maybe something's wrong here. What's wrong with this kid? Why is she doing this? None of our other kids do this, and I'll bet the seven-year-old is a sweetheart. And so compared, the five-year-old seems like, oh! So I would suggest, Sarah, that you tell your little five-year-old, here's what we're going to do. When you throw a fit, here are the next five consequences we're going to do. And label them. Let them out. This is what we're going to do. You lose this, you lose this, you lose this. You go to bed early. You stand in the corner. You don't get dessert. We go out to eat. You watch. Whatever. You can feed her at home, obviously. But the point is, you're kind of paralyzed because of overanalyzing this. Overthinking it. This is very common. Kids do this all the time. I'm wonderful at school, and I beat up my parents and anybody that gets within two feet of me. Sure. You got to teach your little girl, uh, this stuff isn't going to go anymore. This is not good. And I guarantee, well, I can't guarantee you, but I highly suspect her anger, as you call it, is going to go away. And she'll be much, much better at controlling this let-it-all-hang-out attitude. What do we mean when we ask our Heavenly Father not to lead us into temptation? Is it possible for God to tempt us? It is not, asserts the Catholic Catechism. God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. Translating from the Greek verb to a single English verb is the difficulty. The Greek verb means we are asking God not to allow us to take the way that leads us to sin. This petition addresses the battle between flesh and the spirit, imploring the spirit of discernment and truth. With the Holy Spirit, we can discern between trials which are necessary for our growth and temptations which lead to sin and death. Discernment also entails distinguishing between being tempted and consenting to temptation. It unmasks the lie of temptation which makes the object look desirable when in fact its fruit is death. God will never allow us to be tempted beyond our strength, says St. Paul. The battle, however, can only be won by prayer. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. Bishop Robert Barron on the priesthood. Vatican II teaches that every baptized person is a participant in the threefold office of Jesus, which is priest, prophet, and king. So as priest, Christ is a sanctifier. He affects a reconciliation between divinity and humanity, right, by his great sacrifice on the cross. Every baptized person does indeed participate in that, in the measure that we all have that calling to reconcile divinity and humanity, to bring God to people and people to God. That's true of every baptized person. Vatican II further specifies that the ordained priesthood is different, not only in degree, but in kind. And it has to do with the identification between the ordained priest, I think, and the Mass, and a unique relationship to the sacraments. Every baptized person has a task of reconciling divinity and humanity. The ordained priest does it in this sort of heightened sacramental and Eucharistic way. EWTN. 
Live truth. Live Catholic. All righty, Dr. Ray Garendi. Wow, halfway through the program already. Jeez, I talk too much. This is uh, E-Person Monday, where we, I do my very best. I say we, because I want to include you in this. You know, it's one big sensitivity nationwide encounter group, where we look at some of the emails that come in. I get more emails than I do calls. That is true. Uh, because why, well, why? You get calls in one hour. You can get emails the other 23 hours. It happens a lot. Let me read you this one. Just <laughs> let me give you just, I'll share this with you. I did a DVD probably about 15 years ago. And I've since updated it through uh, Augustine Institute. And you can get it in a CD form at Lighthouse Media where they put the kiosks in the parishes, various CDs. And it was how and why I came back to the Catholic Church after an eight-year hiatus. I like to use that word, you know. It sounds so much more intellectual than gap. Eight-year wandering. An eight-year peregrination. I read the dictionary when I was in college, and I have to use those words somewhere. You never see them in polite language. And I talked about how logic and reason and evidence brought me back to the Catholic Church. I got this. You you have to... I didn't quite know what to make of this initially, but now I think I understand the message. I got this... Well, this was, well, probably a month or two ago. It says this. Just watched... Why be Catholic? Bravo! All right. First line, you're thinking, oh, good, good. I'm glad to be able to help somebody out. That That's nice. Maybe they it, it resonated with them. That's where it ends. Here's the rest of it. Well done, good and faithful servant. Oh, still good so far, right? Right? Real good. Your followers will have all of eternity to personally thank you for what you have done for them. Oh man, this is one of the nicest emails I've ever gotten. And this is going to this is going to illustrate a psychological point. Keep up the great work. All right. So, you watched it? Well done good and faithful servant. Followers will have all eternity to thank you for what you've done for them. Keep up the great work. And it was signed Satan. Now, this is a little twist on the screw tape letters. Where C.S. Lewis wrote a book with an experienced demon tutoring a rookie demon on how to win a soul. So, apparently, this person is familiar with the screw tape letters, and they did not like the logic, the reason, and the evidence that I used which I think was really quite unassailable. You may not want to... What's the word I'm looking for? 
there were certain points where I said things that were beyond dispute. They were historically true. You couldn't argue with them. Catholic, Protestant, non-believer, you couldn't argue with them. They were historically true in the context in which they were presented. Keep up the great work, signed Satan. In other words, what I did with that DVD is mislead people. I, I led them into hell, you see, because I was just giving them a false religion, the Catholic religion. False. Clearly false. Now, what I guess happened here is that a parent, someone, saw this DVD or heard about it, something, and wanted either a relative or a brother or a grown child or someone to watch it, thinking it would move them. Maybe they were very anti-Catholic. Maybe they had no religion whatsoever. And they thought, well, okay, I, I was moved by this. It made sense to me. I'll let them watch it. See, see how it moves them. Well, it did move them. Not in the direction that they thought. But here, here is, I think, the psychological principle on this. I remember a study done once where they, I don't know if they showed the picture of a person, but underneath it, they had a list of their personality traits. They then showed a different group of people, the same picture of the person, and they had a list of the same personality traits with one exception. They changed one trait. And if I recall correctly, the trait that they changed on the positive portrayal, as they listed the traits, the one was warm. In the negative portrayal, cold was placed instead of warm. They asked the people to describe... Now, keep in mind, these are two different groups. You know, the, the same group didn't see both. Groups saw e either one picture or the other. They asked them to describe how they liked this person, what, the, what they thought this person really would be like. Under warm, the other traits were also viewed very positively. Under cold... Some of the very same traits were viewed negatively. Now, I don't know if this was one of them, but for example, let's say the trait was honest. Under warm, you see honest, you think, wow, this is great. What a, what a, what a positive characteristic. You know, a warm person with honesty, but you can't beat that. However, a cold person with honesty, you wonder... What is their motive? What what is, when they're honest? Are, are, does that mean they're they're hitting you up with things that you don't want to hear because they're 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 too honest? They're they're actually brazen. One word changed the whole perception of people's look at these two personality descriptions. One word. And so when you heard this email, and I said, all those nice compliments, and then it was signed, Satan, that one word turned every compliment, at least from this person's perspective, 
into a vicious insult, into a you are evil. If I, if I left off the Satan and I read that, you'd say, why is Dr. Reed doing that? Why is he sharing an email where people are telling him how wonderful he is? That's kind of self-fluffy, isn't it? But as soon as it was signed Satan, it changed the context and perspective of every single line of that email. I'm Dr. Ray. Thank you so much for joining me. to communion. Three Edipton Radio, we talk to audiences all over the world. One thing I found out is everybody in the whole world has the same set of questions. They live the same human life. They all want meaning. They all want love. They all want significance. They want forgiveness. That's the most fascinating thing to me. The same answers work wherever you are throughout the world because we're all children of God. Called to Communion with Dr. David Anders. This afternoon, 2 Eastern on EWTN Radio. The breadth of power that liberal governors such as Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan, Andrew Cuomo in New York, seek to wield against private citizens during this current pandemic is frightening. Contrary to their views, our federal constitutional rights don't go away in an emergency. These governors feel only a nominal constraint by our Constitution, as evidenced by the restrictions they have imposed on our liberty. Under the banner of public health, they believe that their power is plenary and that the Constitution has little role, if any, in curtailing that power. They are mistaken. Indeed, there is no pandemic exception to the fundamental liberties guaranteed by the Constitution. If the courts, and more importantly, we the people who ultimately control the fate of these politicians at the ballot box, were to simply accept the governor's actions and acquiesce to their power grab, then it is the fiat of the governors and not the Constitution that is the supreme law of the land. We aren't willing to surrender our freedoms so easily. We filed multiple federal civil rights lawsuits against both governors in federal courts in Michigan and New York. In the final analysis, if we don't demand our God-given inalienable rights, then they will be lost. Fight for freedom or lose it. It's that simple. I'm Robert Muse, co-founder and senior counsel of the American Freedom Law Center, bringing you this Faith and Freedom Minute. You can learn more about the American Freedom Law Center and its fight for your faith and freedom by visiting our website and liking us on Facebook. irony of life. By the time you're old enough to know your way around, you just don't want to go anywhere. Dr. Ray Durandy, thanks for joining me here on The Doctor Is In, dressed in shorts, but speaking in tuxedo, Monday through Friday, 1 o'clock Eastern Time. My producer man, Andrew Kruchek, uh, now that we are back in somewhat of a quasi-normal, notice all the qualifiers I'm throwing here, because no matter what, there's just so still massive repercussions of the decisions that were made. Now that we're back, Andrew is now producing the show again. There for a while, there was very limited skeletal staff at Ave Maria. So, good to have him back. This is E-Person Monday, 
Okay, here we go. I would like a little advice concerning my husband being the spiritual head of our family. Well, I can relate to this because my wife tells me I am the spiritual headache of our family. He is a good and loving husband and father who works hard at his job so I can stay home with the kids. He is also a practicing Catholic, takes his faith very seriously. Okay, this is this is a variant of, but he's he's a really good kid. Okay, this is before you get into, let me tell you what the problem is. Let me tell you how wonderful this person is. Very common, happens a lot. I don't know if we feel obliged to do that because we don't want to just say, all right, here's my frustration. Here's what this person is doing. I don't want to seem negative because really things are pretty good. We, we, we seem to have a... A, a nudge to do this. However, there it is. The big butt. He does not practice his role as spiritual head of our family. Now, what does that mean? All right, now, think about this. Mom said he's very faithful, practicing Catholic, takes his faith very seriously, good and loving husband. Okay, that's all That's all spiritual head stuff right there. But he doesn't, he doesn't, practice the spiritual head of the family. Now, I think what we're going to see is that in all good intentions, mom here has defined spiritual head as a certain element, a certain element of practice. In this case, prayer. If I do not initiate prayer time as a family, there would be no prayers at all. And when we do pray, I'm the one who leads all the prayers. When I ask him to lead when we pray, and I hardly ever ask him, he either tells me he would rather not or he does so reluctantly. Okay, he does so. That's a good step. He does so. I do not nag him about it, nor do I try to make him feel guilty. Nor... Okay, wait a minute. Now I believe. Okay, I see what she says here. Now I believe he is like this because of laziness. When he is at home on his days off, he doesn't want to do anything productive. He'd rather just chill, do something fun. And to him, praying is not fun. (laughs) Praying is not fun to me either. Well, you know, it's not fun. If you could use the word fun to describe praying, I could see how most people wouldn't see praying as fun. They would see it as fulfilling. They would see it as meaningful. They would see it as peace, contentment. They would see it as communing. But fun, you know, like playing a volleyball game that you really like. Uh, I strive to do it. Okay, wait a minute. Praying is not fun to me either, but I know how important it is, and I strive to do it, especially where the children are concerned. The thing is, he also knows how important it is and how important it is to be an example to the children. Do I just need to sit him down? Tell him how important this is to me and the children? Well, see, I would think, Mom, you've already done that. Maybe you don't think you've done it with enough emphasis. Maybe not enough passion, emotion, persuasion. I I don't know. Okay, but obviously he, he knows you would prefer because you've countless times asked him to do it and he either rather not or he does so reluctantly. Our young children need to see that their dad is proactive in his faith, and I need to be spiritually supported. 
Okay, let's take a look at this. In the main, mom says that dad is a very faithful guy, he's a good husband, and, and she didn't say it, but if I were to ask her, does he love the children, does he spend time with the children, do the children adore their daddy, I got a feeling she'd say yes. All right. So all of that is in place. That is, that is a massive modeling effect. The piety, the prayerfulness, especially overt prayerfulness, vocal, out loud prayerfulness, is what mom sees as lacking. And she sees this as defining him as not the spiritual head of the household. I, I might say, well, he isn't taking a prayerful lead in that, in that aspect. Okay, we can say that. So what do you do? Well, if I were to ask you, do you know why he's reluctant? Now, Mom says, I think it's because he just wants to chill and prayer's not fun and it's just not something he's inclined to do all that much out loud with the kids. Do you know that for sure? Have you really explored that with him? Just ask him. Not in a threatening way. Not in a way you're going to corner him. Not in a way you're going to accuse him of being spiritually lazy. Just going to ask. You know, you're, you're good about the faith in so many ways. What is it about prayer that you find hard to do, especially with the kids? What is that? Hopefully you'll get some answers. If you can say, well, do you think it would be good for the kids if you would do something like this? Go, go way beyond your, as the shrinks call it, comfort zone. We Christians aren't really supposed to have comfort zones. Comfort zones is a way of us hiding inside the psychological box of, gee, I just don't feel like that, or I get anxious when I do that. But if it's something really good to do, if it's something that our Lord would want us to do, then we got to step out of that comfort zone, or we got to expand it. So find out. Find out what it is about prayer, and then let him know it means the world to you. It means so, so very much to you. But... You're not going to nag him. You won't do it. Not anymore. Not going to bring it up. This is not going to be a focal point of stress in your marriage. When I do marriage talks, a lot of times I will talk about something in a marriage that's never been resolved. And it's never been resolved because attempts to resolve it have been there, but it hasn't changed. You know, maybe maybe it's as little as leaving the toothpaste cap off. Maybe it's as little as throwing clothes on the floor instead of in the clothes basket. What, whatever. Maybe it's something like, yeah, you're, you're late and you don't call me and tell me. But this has been something that's been a problem for five years, ten years, eight, 18 years, whatever. And for a good marriage, you got to just let it go. you got to look at the overall relationship and you say, yeah, it's a good one. It's solid. We love each other. We share a lot. We're on the same page in so many ways. Uh, I, I don't want this particular area to become bigger than life. But Dr. Ray, come on. Prayer is very important. I know that. But for whatever the reason, her husband is, is, is resisting it. But he goes to Mass. They see him at Mass. They see him doing, I would imagine, other spiritual things, whether it's parish activities 
maybe he could read some things during prayer time. You know, maybe he would read a a small religiously based story to the kids before mom leads prayer. He could do that. Maybe that maybe that's easy enough. Maybe he feels self conscious about praying. Maybe to him prayer is something very private and he just doesn't I don't know. I just don't I just don't like doing it. Mom does say he will here and there do it. And that's okay. But be careful. You don't say, yeah, but I want him to willingly do it. Sometimes just doing it is good enough. So, Mom, those are my thoughts on on that. I'm Dr. Ray. Don't touch that dial. Dr. Ray will be back. I'm Dr. Stan Williams. Contemplate the universe with me. There is a time for everything under heaven. As moral agents, we exist in a universe that allows us to move in three space and one time dimensions called space-time. The paradox in which God has placed us allows us complete freedom of movement through the space dimensions, but we are constrained to move in only one direction through time. That irony of freedom and constraint forces upon us the natural law of causation. For every moral action we take in space, a moral consequence is delivered in time. In space, we can go forward or backward. But why, oh why, can't we go back in time and fix things? We really have no idea, but God knows, and one day you will too. At AveMariaRadio.net, under resources, explore the universe with me. I'm Dr. Stan Williams. The EWTN home video highlight for July is the heresies, Gnosticism. Christianity has fought against this heresy from the beginning, and its errors still infiltrate our culture today. Order your DVD of The Heresies, Gnosticism at EWTNRC.com, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, or call 1-800-854-6316. If you believe in the power of prayer, Ave Maria Radio invites you to look at their website to submit a prayer request at AveMariaRadio.net. Your prayer requests are shared with hundreds at the Dominican Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist, the Servants of God's Love, the Monastery of the Blessed Sacrament Cloistered Nuns, the Family of Faith Apostolate, and the staff of Ave Maria Radio. Just go to AveMariaRadio.net and click on the Community tab to submit your prayer request today. Dr. Rigorini, thanks for joining me here on The Doctor Is In, that Hammond A100 self-contained speaker. They don't make Hammonds like that anymore, and there's a certain sound that the Hammond has that it can no longer be replicated. Well, I'm looking at the clock here. I've got four to five minutes. Rather than do another E-person, I'm going to do a... C.S. Lewis. One of the dangers, this is Lewis writing in Mere Christianity, one of the dangers of having a lot of money 
is that you may be quite satisfied with the kinds of happiness money can give and so fail to realize your need for God. If everything seems to come simply by signing checks, you may forget that you are at every moment totally dependent upon God. One of the things I've seen more as I've gotten older is that so much of what we think is a worldly blessing, not godly blessing, worldly blessing, can be a horrible curse. Example, excessive wealth, tremendous wealth. Now, culture says, why? Is that what you want? Do what you want, live where you want, have all the good things alive. Yeah, but if that excessive wealth makes you become more self-oriented, if it makes you chase materialism to the neglect of God, that's a major curse. It's a terrible curse. Because eventually that wealth's going to be over because you're not going to be here anymore. Also, celebrity status. People think that celebrities, wow, look at, the, look at the adulation, look at the recognition they get, look at all the affirmation, they're always on covers, they're always being interviewed, they do movies, what a glamorous thing. Yeah, but if that celebrity status becomes so paramount in your life that God is a far, far distant second, if he exists in your life at all, then it would have been better for you to have been a nobody and to have known God than to be the most famous person in the world and not known God. So much of what our world values, so much of what we see as the ultimate pursuits can be the very things that can make us run away from a relationship with God and Christ. And if, in fact, that is eternity, then no matter how wonderful the world tells you these pursuits are, they are a sliver of existence and they are ultimately meaningless. All they did was blind you to what matters in eternity. That's all they did. That's all they did. And you don't have to be a celebrity. You, you don't have to say, well, thank God I'm not a celebrity. Thank God I'm not really wealthy. No, no, no. But, but, but anything that can do that, materialism or self-seeking, you, you don't have to be celebrity status level of recognition. But what if, what if what matters to you is recognition and that's what you chase? And as you achieve some of it, God recedes further back, then that's dangerous too. That's a curse too. If it comes as a byproduct of you trying to live a faith-filled holy life, that's one thing. But if it's a priority, if it's something you chase now, and you leave God further and further behind, then that's a curse. That's a major curse. It is not a blessing. We think it is. The world tells you it is. The world says, this is what your goal is. 
the world says, this is what you should have. This is what you should pursue. This is meaning. This is life. This is good. And once again, in God's scheme of things, the world's way of looking at stuff is totally upside down. I'm Dr. Ray. I thank you so much for joining me. Good Lord permit and see you tomorrow on The Doctor is In where we can jaw, walk with God. That's the walk you want to pursue. His walk. For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. What's stopping you from becoming a Catholic? This is Dr. David Anders answering your calls, emails, and text messages. Call to Communion is next on most of these EWTN stations. Here's today's quote from Mother Angelica's Perpetual Calendar. When the Lord manifests your weaknesses to you, it's extremely important that you be humble at that moment. It's only because we think we are better than we are that we have these so-called problems with humility. Mother Spiral Bound Perpetual Calendar features an inspirational message for each day of the year. It's available from the EWTN Religious Catalog at EWTNRC.com. EWTN. Live Truth. Live Catholic. The Faith and Freedom Minute explores the intersection of our Catholic faith and modern American culture, offering insights to understand and navigate the divide between secular viewpoints and our Catholic principles. Brought to you by the Knights of Columbus, here's past State Deputy for Texas, Douglas Oldmixon. Archbishop Laurie offers us this advice. Prayer is what enables us to advance our cause charitably and lovingly and persistently and wisely. So I would say prayer should be our number one priority. Secondly, when the possibility of advancement comes, and even the possibility of a political victory, one danger is that you begin to overreach. A second danger is that you lose some civility. And thirdly is to equate a political victory with the victory of the cause itself. So even if we are able to win more protections for human life and dignity that we've been seeking for decades, we still have the task of winning over minds and hearts. We've made a lot of progress, but the most important thing that we have to do is win over minds and hearts. We concur. Will you join us? This has been the Knights of Columbus Faith and Freedom Minute. To learn more about the effective witness and practical works of the world's largest Catholic family organization, please visit our website at tkfc.org. That's tkofc.org. This is Auxiliary Bishop Michael Blatt of the Archdiocese of San Antonio. Thank you for listening to KJMA 89.7 FM here in the San Antonio and South Texas area on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Please keep the entire church and myself and all the other bishops, priests, deacons, religious and seminarians in your prayers as we strive to live out God's call for us to serve you. Thank you and may God bless you abundantly.
Thanks for listening to KJMA 89.7 Floresville, San Antonio on the Guadalupe Radio Network in South Texas. Catholic Radio for your soul. Catholic Radio for your soul. Heard also streaming on grnonline.com and on your smartphone.